Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is mixing engineer Biz Morris. Let's start here. If you were ever upset about finding out that you paid much more for a concert ticket than its face value, then you're going to like this. The Fans First Act is a bill introduced by six U.S. senators aimed at reforming live event ticketing. The bill will require ticket sellers and resellers to disclose the total cost of a ticket, including all the extra fees, before the ticket is even sold. The bill would also require ticket sellers to provide a breakdown of the ticket cost, indicate what seat or section a customer is gaining access to, and say whether a ticket is being offered by its original seller or by a reseller or broker. The Fans First Act would apply to both primary and ticket sellers, so that includes Ticketmaster as well as SeatGeek and StubHub. It was introduced after more than a year of complaints from concertgoers about high fees, out-of-control prices, and deceptive selling practices. The typical complaint was that a ticket always costed more than they expected. This is already having an effect on Ticketmaster, as they've offered more money to their venue staff and have come out in support of the bill, but everyone thinks that this is just a way to take some of the Department of Justice heat off. In the past, that's been an effective strategy, but this time, it might not work. If you have any comments or questions, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Also, I'm pleased to announce that my new Musician's AI Handbook is now available. It's packed with information about how AI can help you with a new song, lyric, mixing, and mastering ideas, as well as music marketing to help get your music out to the audience that you deserve. To get your copy, go to rebrand.ly forward slash AI Handbook. That's rebrand.ly forward slash AI Handbook. You can also find it on Amazon and Apple Books. Now, it was announced yesterday that Rode Microphones purchased Mackie in a deal worth $180 million. Rode is one of the biggest and most successful home recording, pro audio, and content creator brands. Based in Australia, Rode has bucked the trend of outsourcing design and manufacturing to China, instead keeping it all home-based. On the other hand, Mackie has historically been a very important company in the audio industry, but in recent years has shown somewhat of a decline. In fact, it's hard to think of a new Mackie product that's been a hit lately. Mackie was started by Greg Mackie, a Boeing engineer who began building high-quality yet inexpensive mixers in his condo in Washington State. In fact, the original CR-1604 was a huge hit and found uses in audio applications in all parts of the industry all over the world. You might say that Mackie mixers kicked off the era of home studios because the mixers made it possible for so many musicians to finally get in recording at a reasonable cost. Mackie Designs eventually went public in 1994 and then began expanding by acquiring brands like Ampeg, St. Louis Music, Crate, EAW, Martin Audio, RCF, and Alvarez Guitars, among many others. In 2003, though, after two years of declining sales, Sun Capital Partners acquired 65% of the company and then delisted it from NASDAQ, and then founder Greg Mackey left the board. In 2003, the company rebranded itself as Loud Technologies, but in 2008 began selling off most of the acquisitions. In 2017, the company was acquired by Transom Capital Group, who then downsized the operation. 
At one time, Mackie products were known for their quality at a reasonable price. In fact, Mackie studio monitors were used by many hit mixers, and its DAB digital console put all digital recording in reach for many wanting to make the jump from analog to digital. On the other hand, Rode has had great success expanding its market beyond traditional studio gear into video and podcasting, and in a way, has taken Mackie's former place in the good products, good price category. This is an interesting partnership that should mean serious composition for companies like Personas and Behringer. There's obviously going to be more to come in this story. My guest today is Biz Morris, a multi-platinum and Grammy award-winning mixing engineer with credits like Lecrae, Tori Kelly, Kirk Franklin, PJ Morton, and Andy Minio. For the last decade, Biz has represented independent Atlanta hip-hop label Reach Records as a vice president and head of studio operations. Biz started recording when he was 14 years old with a small setup at his mom's house, and incredibly, he was nominated for a Grammy for an album he engineered while he was still in school. Since then, the accolades have continued to flood in, including Grammy and Dove wins, as well as gold and platinum albums. Recently, he also launched Get Mixed, a cutting-edge company aimed at providing top-tier mixing and mastering services for independent artists at an affordable price. During the interview, we spoke about how Biz loves editing vocals, making the transition to only mixing, how mixing engineers overthink mixing sometimes, his opinions on mastering, how Get Mix came about, and much more. I spoke with Biz from a studio in Atlanta. Let's get started. And actually, I want to go to where you got into the music business. So let's go back to the beginning. The beginning, man. I um, Man, I started in this music business just as a hobbyist when I was 12. I had a little makeshift um, home studio at my mom's house. Uh, she she was gracious to let me use the spare room and just have fun and put a computer in there. And man, over the years, that grew into like having an HD rig. By the time I was like 14 or 15 and just having friends who were in the music business who ended up just coming over to my house, my mom's house, and and recording to landing like paid jobs from doing like voiceover translation work uh, when I was like 16. So I just like slowly like took this hobby and figured out a way to make some money out of it. You know, it's, it seems like it was just yesterday, but it's, I mean, it's been like, yeah, I'm 33 now. So, you know, 18, 20 years doing this. It just, it's like, it's, it's went by a lot of, it, it, it's been, it, it went by a lot, like really fast. I'm amazed though that, you were making money at it at 16 because that usually doesn't happen. Yeah, I think it's still, I still, um, I still like go by this today. I think it's about the connections that you have, not the gift or the, um, the gift that you have. I think it's, I think it's a mixture of both, but I think, I think, I think you have to have connections, um, and you have to, uh, be kind to people and, and it will pay off. You went to school also for recording, right? Yeah, I went to the Conservatory of Recording Arts um, when I when I uh, graduated high school, and I didn't think that I wanted to do music. I wanted to like I, I was like, oh, well, you know, I I've done music stuff. I want to go do film. I want to go do movie stuff. I want to record audio, do ADR fully, and that just I, I had I had a job lined up in LA when I graduated the Conservatory of Recording Arts, and I decided not to go do that. 
to go back to Dallas, uh, where I was, where I was already like from and continue doing what I was doing. So at that time, a, a lot of the artists that I work with today, they were just blowing up. So I, so I went back to Dallas and continued engineering for them. That led me to, um, traveling with one of the artists as his DJ for years. And that led me to moving to Atlanta, where I am now, working for the same label who I freelance for since I was, you know, 16, 15, 16. I came on full time with them 10 years ago here in Atlanta. Wow. That's a good long journey. It's a long journey. Yeah. But it went by so fast. Now, are you just mixing or are you tracking too? You know, so I work for a record label and we have nine artists. I'll track when I need to track. I've I found that my pocket is especially for the record label, I found that my pocket is finishing songs. There's 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 a lot that goes into like creating a song. It goes from this recording an idea to turning in a final product. I like turning in final products. I don't I don't feel like my time is best used just recording ideas. A lot like ninety percent of the ideas don't ever get finished. So I, I like I like to be the finisher and just overseeing the quality of stuff. And I I was I was lucky enough to hire engineers so that I I get to mentor and and we have a great internship program. So I I all my interns I throw them in the fire. So if that means you're going to be tracking with one of the artists, or if that means you're going to go on a run, but you're going to do it all. What used to make me crazy is I I had an artist that. We'd finish this song, we'd track it, and it would sound great. And he'd come back and he'd say, "You know, this would sound better if it was reggae." We do the whole thing again, reggae, and and be finished would sound great. And he come back and say, "Yeah, it's a jazzy influence." And we do it like five different times, and they'd all be great. But he'd finally go back to the first one that we did, and it's like, yeah. "Oh man, we spent so much time on this." I know. I, I there's part of me that misses it. One of the artists that I I can record if I want to is Lecrae. He's a he's one of the artists I work with all the time. Um he's the owner of the record label that I that I work for. I used to I mean I was just tracking engineer for years and then um I hired another engineer and I eventually just had to pass pass the engineering sessions off to him because I was so busy doing other things. I was in meetings, I was talking with I was putting out fires, like and so there's part of me who really I miss it. I like I miss hitting record and I love, I love, I love editing vocals. Love it. Wow. I just, I don't have time for it anymore. I'm just so busy doing other things. So am I mostly mixing? Yeah, mostly mixing or like in meetings or uh, working with clients on other things. Gee, you just blew my mind there. You love editing vocals. I mean, that's torture for most engineers and producers. <laughs> I mean, there's just times where, um, you have to comp vocals and the way that the artist sang it just isn't right. And you have to edit those vocals to make it right. Yeah. Um, and you're working magic. And I, and I like that. I like hearing the final result on stuff. I'm a, I just like the final results. <laughs> when you're doing that, is the artist with you? No, no, I, 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 I've been lucky enough to build artist trust pretty quick. You know, if I'm not, I don't just, um, trying to figure out a way to say this. I want to, I want to be the artist's friend. So there's trust there. So the artist is going to trust me to make the right decision. I'm not going to just like edit a vocal and make you sound worse. I'll go back to the recording comp. I won't have to comp, spend hours comping vocals. I'll just use your original take. So I'll, I'll really, I'll really make sure the artist 
it sounded good. And I think that the artist trusts me to do it. I mean, I'm a professional. I've been doing this for a long time. I'm not going to mess up. I remember talking to the producer. I can't remember his name, unfortunately, but he had produced a lot of the top female country artists. And he was telling me that he would routinely do like 24 tracks of vocals on like Kelly Clarkson or Reba McIntyre. And they're great vocalists. And he said, you know, I, I'm not going for pitch or anything because the pitch is always great. I'm going for performances. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I want that emotion. Yeah. I mean, we do that in rap too. It's like sometimes the artist will, the artist will just do one take and it's good. And sometimes, you know, they'll do, yeah, they'll, they'll do 20, 30 comps. And then we make the best take out of all those. And it's just, yeah, it's not, I don't think it's pitch. I think it's, yeah, performance, emotion. I want to believe that you are believing what you're saying. I want you to get into that headspace. The first rap thing I did, which is back when it first started, really, in about, you know, 1990 or something, never done that before or heard it or, or knew anything about it. Then the artist came in and uh, did the rap, and it was kind of long. It was five or six minutes. And then I said, well, do you want to do it again? And he looked at me like I was from outer space. It's like, well, why? I already did it once. Because I, free- I just freestyled it. Or I just, yeah. Yeah, very cool. Still happens today. They get in the, they go into the, the booth and they just freestyle and I say, can you do it again? Or let's punch in here. And it's like, I have no idea what I said. Uh, <laughs> Let yeah. me listen back. But that's cool though. I mean, it's just like a musician that's jamming, that, that's just playing a solo. Yeah. And, you know, you ask them to go back and play. It's like, well, I don't know what I did. You're mostly mixing now. When did you make the transition? And there's a transition where you're working mostly that way, but there's also the mental transition that, okay, this is now what I do. Yeah, you know, so stuff that doesn't happen today, but I sat, I got I got mentored by an engineer, Carlton Lynn. Carlton um, was, I mean, he, he ran Atlanta, like he mixed TLC, he's done um, Chris Brown, he's done Usher, like he's done it all. And... When I moved to Atlanta, before I even moved to Atlanta, when I used to come here to work on records, you know, I used to fly from Dallas here to come work on records for, I'll say for a month or so. Um, He was always the mix engineer. So I would record and he would mix. And he was so gracious, man, to let me just sit in the session and just watch and learn and watch and learn. So then fast forward, I moved here in 2012. In 2014, he came and he's like, hey, I'm moving to Japan. His wife's Japanese. and, And so he's like, so all these artists that I've worked with, they're now yours. Like you have to, um, especially for the label, because um, we had a studio and the records got mixed at the label. So he wasn't going to be here. And so that that really like was a mind shift because I did mix before and then he would come in after and touch them or, you know, show me stuff. But it was like, he's not coming in the studio to come fix the records. It's on me and he's leaving next month. So yeah, I think that was a quick mind shift. No, I, you know, I work at the label. My job is to turn in records. So I'll, if it's not me mixing them, I got to go find another mix engineer. So nope, it's going to be me mixing them. So I was, I came off the road. I quit touring um, with artists. I remember getting sat down and being like, hey, you can't, you can't do this. You're touring. You're, you're, you're married now. You're touring during the weekends. You're in the studio during the week. It's just not sustainable. So quit, quit touring, just record and mix. And so that, yeah, 2014, it was like a mind shift. Okay, here's the next question. So you're married and you have a new baby. Yeah. So I have three. I have three oh, babies. Three. You have three. Okay. I have, I have a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, and an eight-month-old. So that means you want to spend a lot of time with your family and music, especially 
mixing and and recording and you don't do that anymore but nonetheless it takes up a lot of time how quickly can you do a mix or normally does it take you to do a mix and do you work like say it okay it's five o'clock six o'clock seven o'clock i'm done for the day honestly i try to get an early start like 7 30 in the morning mm -hmm. and by like one o'clock my men i'm mentally done like i'm i'm tapped um i've done a couple records for the day uh, if I have a meeting or something, I'll take a meeting if I have some calls, but I really, I, I rarely will work at night and I built this, this mixing room in my house so I can be home a couple of days a week, you know, or if, or if an artist needs a recall, I can just walk in the back and do a recall. I don't have to call an assistant to say, can you do this? I can just do it real quick. But I, I have been fortunate, man, to have a good team of people, staff that just, they'll pick up the slack where I have to fall. Like I have family in town this week. And I said, hey, guys, I'm in and out. Can you all handle it? You know, so I try to be home as much as possible. So that means you do mixes fairly quickly. Yeah, we got a system down. Yeah, for sure. You have a template then that you work off of. Um, for sure. We have a we have a starting point of, yeah, we have a mix template where we start. Where we start. Uh, they, I have a couple of assistants that will build everything out and clean up stuff how I like it. And and I have my right hand, Connor, like he'll, he'll start mixes or sometimes he'll even finish them. We, we, we banter back and forth on stuff, but as long as the quality is there, when it's the song is given to us and the artist is happy where it is, I can work magic in, in a couple hours. Do you know who Billy Decker is? Familiar with Billy? <laughs> Terrible names. Billy is an engineer from Nashville and uh, he has a lot of hits, a lot of number ones. But he claims that he can do, and not that he claims, he does mixes in yeah. 45 minutes. Yeah. And it's for the same reason. It's like, I, I want to be home. I don't want to work all day on, or work all night. And, you know, mm -hmm. I want to be home with my family. And he developed a template where pretty much everything is the same all the time. So uh, to some degree, there's a Billy Decker sound, I think. But his template is, is pretty interesting. And I have to admit, I've tried it. And... It really sounded good. You know, everything I, I yeah. put through it, it was like, oh, this works. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and so I think people try to, I think people overthink, engineers overthink a lot of times. And I think, I don't think that a lot goes into, it sounds so bad. I mean, right. It's like a lot doesn't go into mixing a record. And that's, that's true to a, to an extent. It's, it's, do I have a good room with good acoustics and do I trust my ears to make the right decision? Sometimes you take a song too far and you ruin the song and you know, a lot of times the only thing that I'm starting with is I start with volume and then I EQ and compress. And if I can get it to sound where I want it, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not going to overthink this. I'm not going to make it what it's not supposed to be. My job is not to take this artist's creation and make it business creation. I'm just supposed to glue and just enhance what the artist and producer want. I remember hearing a story about Tom Dowd. It was one of the godfathers of, you know, early recording. And it was from somebody who worked with him who said that he would put a mix up and if he didn't like it, he'd just pull all the faders down and start all over again, <laughs> you know, which that would frighten most mixers today. Well, I'm not going to lie. I've done that, Yeah, you know, yeah. where I've, I mixed a song and I went back and I'm like, this is just not it. And I'll say, restart it. That's okay. I, I really, I think people can take songs too far. Mix engineers can take songs too far and just make them what they're not supposed to be. How much automation are you using? That's a good question. Are you considering clip game as automation? Yes. Well, then, uh, yeah, I use a lot. You know, I when I'm working on vocals, I'll clip game before I compress. 
just to make sure the compressor is just like smooth. It's not overworking. I love compression. I love, love. Sometimes I have one or two compressors. Sometimes I have three compressors on my vocal. I just love compression. Especially if you can control it with clip automation before it starts. You can get the you can get really good sounds. So yeah, I would uh I would do a lot of automation. Uh if I'm if you're not considering clip can automation, uh, maybe it just depends on the song. I don't know. Yeah, that's a hard yeah. question. And the reason why I ask is usually when you start to get into automation, that's when mixes take a lot longer. Yeah, and, and I'm I, I would say I'm not really gonna I, I may automate some verb delay throws, but I'm not not doing crazy like riding the guitar in places. I'm expecting the producer, especially when you work with high caliber producers, they're giving you an already mixed song. They just want your ear because they trust your ear. That's kind of what I tell people actually that ask me questions about this. Is like it starts at the recording. If it's well recorded and it's well arranged and produced, it kind of mixes itself. Yeah. Yeah. Then that's where volume game comes in. What DAW are you using? Pro Tools. Logic, too. It depends on what the artist is and the producer. There's some artists that I work with a lot, and they're in Logic, and it's just not worth having my assistant bring it over to Pro Tools. I can just, I can mix in Logic, and I'm just going to mix in Logic. I like Pro Tools the best. I mean, Pro Tools is my number one. Yeah, it's a lot easier to mix than than Logic. I think Logic is a, a great platform for creating things. I think the automation is way better in Logic, so if, I think I would automate way more if I was in Logic. Maybe I maybe I'm glad I'm not. What monitors are you using? Well, um, I have Focal Trios at my house, and I have PMCs at the at my other studio, but those are going back to Focal. Well, either way, you can't go wrong. Good no, stuff there. no, no. I I had Focal Trios for a couple years, and I just man. I went to PMC because I did Atmos. My whole whole studio was in Atmos, and um, and I just missed man. I missed my vocals. They were just I can listen to them for ten hours, and my ear fatigue wouldn't be there. That says something about a monitor. Tell me about Atmos. Are you, you getting a lot of calls to do that? Yeah, I would say probably forty percent of the stuff I did. No, that's not true. I don't know. I'm giving percentages. I have no idea. I haven't definitely looked at stats, but especially for the major label stuff, everything that we do in stereo has to be done at Atmos. It, uh, I built my room with the hopes that I was going to give independent artists access to Atmos because a lot of the Atmos was only coming from the majors because it was so expensive to get it done. And so that's why I built my room and it's, it's worked. Did you have a hard time getting your arms around Atmos and going from stereo to, to immersive? I don't think I had a hard time. I'm like, I love tech and I'm always up to date with tech and I love, um, and I also love experiences. So that was like perfect, right? It's like, mm-hmm. This new tech is allowing me to have an experience. So it's, I, I played with it for a while before I mixed a song on it. So no, I, I don't think it was hard. I think as long as you can understand the the tech side of it and all the changes that Dolby and the labels make for the deliverables, if you're willing to just pivot with them, then you'll be good. It's definitely not easy. I wouldn't say it's easy, especially if you're a room. If I would say a lot of... Not a lot. I would say that I'm fixing a lot of mixes this year that engineers did last year and the years before on headphones, and the labels are realizing they're not good. And so they're sending us new sessions to mix because they have to get them redone. You know, they're in such a hurry to get mixes done. They were giving these these sessions to B and C level engineers that I know that didn't have a lot of experience. 
And yeah. all of a sudden, they had all this Atmos work. And I'm thinking, and all they had were headphones. They were doing on phones. And I'm thinking to myself, all the phasing, the phase yeah. problems. If your room is not done right, and people hate it because they're like, you have to have the Dolby curve. And I get it now. Like I get it because the room and the phase. If you don't have it right, it's gonna sound bad. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think they opened up the platform for too many engineers to have access to it, and yeah. that's unfortunate. I think they should have kept it really hard to get. Um, and you had to go through the Dolby process like early onsetters like we did. And it's unfortunate they they let engineers just have access to it on Logic. Yeah, right, right. It's, cra it's crazy. I've, uh, yeah, and I think as a result, now these engineers are at most mixers, on quotations, and it's fooling the artist. And now they're going to hate this format. Yep, thanks. That's the whole thing. You play some mixes back, you know, just off of Apple Music or something, then you go, God, uh, give me the stereo. Let me find the stereo one. Stereo one sounds better, which is a shame. I get to go to a lot of playbacks of, of yeah. big, big records that are done in Atmos. And there was one playback where there was uh, an engineer who did like five of the biggest records, Grateful Dead, like American Beauty, The Who, Who's Next, Cars, uh, early Cars record. And every single one of these were, was competently done, but didn't sound as good as the stereo. And it was like, there's something missing. There's a glue that's not there. So then he finishes all this and then he says, well, let me play one of my things, which was all electronic and that smoke, that was great. So then it finishes up and he says, you know, I think this is better for electronic music than it is for rock. And I'm thinking, yeah, so far that's the way it sounds like. You know, I think that a lot of, a lot of people and engineers who are mixing in the format Think that they have to make it something that it's not. Again, don't don't try to don't try to put stuff around my head. Don't do that. Play stuff creatively and sonically pleasing for the ear, so that it translates when it goes into headphones. Because that's what in five years maybe at most tech like for the tech side will be better in the cars or like the sound bars people are gonna have in their house. Um, but for now, it's like no one's going to hear this. No one's going to hear anything flying around your head. I did hear one great one, and that was the Beatles' Revolver. I got a, an invite to go down to EMI, and Giles Martin, who did it, was there. And he was commenting as we got, you know, we went through. And I have to say, that one sounded terrific because it did stay as true to its roots as you could. Yep. Every now and then, there, there was something that it did spread out, but it was appropriate. And I was like, man. Yeah, that's see, that's, good. yeah. I think uh, my, my favorite Atmos mix is Sean Mendez. I think the song's Treat, Treat You Better. Ugh. It starts off just like the stereo mix, and by the time the chorus comes, it just spreads out. But it's not trying to be something that's not. It's just supposed to give you an, an experience. And that's what I think Atmos is supposed to be. Spatial audio is supposed to just be an experience. that's supposed to just enhance the stereo mix. Tell me about the plugins you use. Do, do you have any plugins that you use in every mix? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Plugins are Fab Filter, Pro Q3, for sure. On everything. I mean, it's it's hitting the mix. Uh, every mix. Um, UAD LA2A. Uh, 1176 from them, too. Um, I used to use a lot of UAD, but I've jumped to Plugin Alliance. Um, I think their stuff is incredible. I think all the SSL stuff from Plugin Alliance is really good. Um, I use Soothe. Um, I just started using Soothe. My assistant uses used Soothe for a long time. I didn't understand why. I didn't. I didn't get it, and I started using it, and I really like it. Yeah, a lot of Plugin Alliance. How about for effects? For effects, 
I love Valhalla. Valhalla reverbs. Um, Echo Boy delays. Yeah. Uh, what's what's it? There's a new one I've been using. Um, what is it? What is it? What is it? Realm, uh, Realm maybe is that the EQ? I mean, uh, reverb. It's Realm. Oh, uh, oh, yeah. Rom, Rom, Rom. Yeah. What do you put in your mix bus? It's a good question. SSL compressor. Sometimes I have it loaded up with stuff that's inactive, just so I can recall. And then, I mean, fat filter limiter smashed. And then God, I've been using God particle too. God, God particle is it's pretty good. Okay, so let's talk about mastering. Let's go. Do you send it out? No. You do it yourself. Mm -hmm. Do you even need it if if you smash it when you're mixing? I say I smash it. I do. I I do like the way the fat filter limiter just sounds. Yeah, I'll. I'll we were just talking this week about this um, because I'll be my team would start printing for mastering and they would just remaster it. And I'm like, it sounds, it's hard for me to be our, my, like, it's hard for me to beat the mix, you know? Yeah. So sometimes we'll master, we'll, we'll, we'll export and we'll master when we're doing a whole album. So everything just has the same, same feel. But for singles, yeah, it's like, just clean up the intro and outro and make sure there's no pops and then deliver it. That's, that's pretty new. Um, but I, I, I will, send out for mastering like i just did a song and they they sent it off to a to a mastering engineer in new york and I, I don't care if your budget allows for it you know um i think the the reason why i started mastering a lot of my stuff was because i could do recalls whenever i needed to and just some mastering engineers are just out of artist budgets if they're really good and so i don't feel like i don't feel like the quality was there um, with a lot of mastering engineers that I couldn't beat. So I said that I just started offering it to them, my arm artist. I know that there was a number of old school engineers, I mean engineers from the 60s and 70s and even 80s, that would not want a mastering engineer to do anything to their mix. It's like, if I did it, that's what I wanted. I don't want you to add anything except maybe turn it up a little bit and transfer it to whatever format. But don't add EQ, don't do any of that stuff. What do you think their job was? For a mastering engineer? Yeah. Well, back then it was a little different because they're, as they call them, a transfer engineer, and they'd have to transfer it to vinyl, or they'd have to transfer it to, to digital for a CD. So yeah. it's the easy now, it wasn't then. Yeah, it'd be go straight to DSP. A lot of times, you know, as depending on the artist, they can, and their, their distribution, they can just upload new mixes. So there's times where the song is on spotify and or apple and people are listening and then i hear something i'm like hey can i please make this mix change and we make the mix change and no one the fans have no idea but i know um that we that we're changing the mixes and the masters and now you couldn't do that as fast if you have a mastering engineer in the mix some of them are fast but then some of them charge you per master so if they're 500 bucks for a master they're charging you 500 bucks for the recall and i'm just like not every artist can afford 1500 bucks for mastering for a master so yeah yeah right it was more at one time you couldn't get out of a mastering house for less than two grand more like three a song sometimes yeah depending where you went sure. i guess because all the different formats that they had to do different formats and also the fact that they charged a lot for a master so they do the mastering, they charge, you know, whatever, 350 an hour or something like that. But then it was like, okay, I'm making a CD master. That's $1,000. Yeah. 
and I'm making a vinyl master. That's another thousand. So it, that be for that for that be for the album or the, for the single? For the the album usually, yeah. Okay. Okay, tell me about get mixed. Oh yeah, oh man, mixed. Um, yeah, so I started this company a couple of years ago. You know, I I like I started this company in 2018. Really, it was a whole different process. I really um, wanted to get quick mixes turned out turned out, but I but I but I created this company in my personal mixing at the same time, right? So it was just two different things. They were two separate things. If you bought a mix on this website, then it's then that's what you get. But my personal mixing was just taken off of labels and artists, and this was just getting forgotten about. So anyways, a couple of years ago, we rethought about it, and we brought everything under one umbrella. And the the hopes is, you know, I, I have a heart for independent artists, and the independent artists don't have big budgets. Some do that are doing well, but a lot, a lot don't. And so I created a website that artists can just go purchase affordable mixes with my same quality. It's like, I'm still mixing these, but but I get to lower the cost because I'm I don't have to communicate with you every like all this the whole every step of the way. You can buy this mix on this website. You can upload the files in your dashboard. I can mix it. I can upload it back to you, and you can give me revision notes right there on your dashboard. Um, so we can we can lower the price because I'm saving so much time from communication. And so yeah, so so I created this this website and this company to give independent artists quality mixes at an affordable price very cool yeah we're, i mean we through that we we offer atmos and we offer mastering too oh. which is great okay last question biz let's go what's the best piece of advice that maybe you learned along the way or somebody imparted to you yeah now um this piece of advice is something that i'm working on daily but it can wait till tomorrow it can wait till tomorrow. Tell yourself that when you get a phone call and you are with your friends at dinner or you're with your kids putting your kids to bed, anything that feels urgent from the next party, is it can wait till tomorrow. And if it can't, it may not be worth you working with them. And that's okay. But yeah, it can wait till tomorrow. Rest, something I'm learning to rest. When something's your hobby and also something's your job, it's worth taking rest. I made a rule many years ago that I would never take a phone call when I'm eating. That's really good. Meals are my time. No texts, no phone calls, nothing. Because again, it could wait. It can wait a half hour or an hour. Yeah, we have this box uh, that sits in one of our, sits in our house. It's uh, by a company called Aro, A-R-O. And it, it, you plug your phone in, you put it in this box, and it tracks how much time that you're away from your phone. That's where we are, right? So now, but now it's really, it's really nice because now my kids will come grab the phones and put them in this box and we'll forget about them and we'll just spend family time. But yeah, if my phone rings and I'm, and I'm with somebody, I have to tell myself it can wait, it can wait. And if it can't go find someone else. You can find out more about biz and get mixed at getmixed.com. That's get G E T mixed M X D get mixed, all one word, dot com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. You can also learn all about the latest in music news, audio and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. 
There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. To listen to the episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com or you can find it in Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyoinnercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-up form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. 